I got this on. Ray? Now you got it. It's nice to be here today with my favorite people. It's good to be with God's people in God's house on God's day. I want to thank the Stuarts. I used to call them the Stuart children. <laughs> Too late. Not the other families for the songs. I thought I was going to inherit two shoes until Pastor Brandon picked them up. <laughs> I guess I'll have to do without the shoes this time. I love Christmas, but I don't like being a Christian. I like coming to church, but I don't like being a Christian. I like preaching sermons on the love of God, but I don't like being a Christian. I like preaching about how we should care for others, but I don't really, really, truly like being a Christian. It goes against my nature. I'd rather care for me. The rest of you are kind of a pain in the tail. <laughs> ah, being a Christian goes against who I am. Well, my title today, The Other Half of Christmas, The Christmas Story, and Why I Don't Like It. We always hear about the same half. It's the half that makes us feel good. It's got to do with shepherds and wise men and giving gifts and we sing about it, and we rejoice about it. Then there's the other half, which we'll get to. Today is a, kind of a journey through the Bible. A journey through the Bible... And it's about my best friend, Jesus, and how he wants to walk with me and with you. It's about relationships with him and with one another. And I'd like to start out with a Bible verse, Luke 19, verse 10, in the Pew Bible, it's page 1,052, 1,052, Luke 19, verse 10. Jesus, talking about himself, says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
You know, nobody in the Bible calls Jesus the Son of Man, except Jesus. And he does it about a hundred times. One implication there is that he came to be one of us. And while he came, he had a mission. And that is to seek and to save that which is lost. Now, if you read the context of this story, it's about Zacchaeus. And the best description of Zacchaeus is he was a nasty little runt. He was a tax collector, not an honest tax collector, but a dishonest tax collector. And he finds Jesus, or Jesus finds him. This guy's a crook, a rich crook. And he finds Jesus, and he says, wow, you're going to come to my house? You know, Jesus isn't particular. He'll come to anybody's house. He didn't come to my house if he was here. Jesus doesn't discriminate by who you are. He loves each and every one of us. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was certainly lost, but he got found. That's great. And you know something else? changed his life. It changed his life. Now that's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. And it changed it publicly. Here's what he says down here in verse uh, 8. And Zacchaeus said, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the Lord, the half of my goods I will give to the poor. Okay, so we just got rid of half of it. And then he says, if I ripped anybody off, I'm going to restore it fourfold. <laughs> you know what? This guy's broke. When Zacchaeus met Jesus, it turned his life inside out. Jesus was seeking and saving that which is lost, and he certainly found one. Well, I was going to read another passage, but I'm just going to tell you what it says. I got more sermon than I got time, which is fine. I just, you know, ignore part of it. I was going to turn to Luke 2, verses 5 to 8. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Even though he was God, he became a human being. Not just any human being, he became a servant. A servant. A servant who would die the death on the cross. That's Jesus coming to this earth. We call it theologically the incarnation, when God becomes a human being. Now let's go to Matthew, the first chapter. Matthew 1, that's uh, page 966 in the Pew Bible. Matthew 1, this 
is the first half of the Christmas story, the one we always talk about. It's about the birth of Jesus. Matthew 1, let's start in verse 20. But as he considered this, that is Joseph, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Rightly, we love the story of Bethlehem. Rightly, we love the shepherds, despised people, who were some of the, like, probably the first to see the newborn king. Rightly, we're inspired by the three holy men, we guess they were three, from the east who brought gifts, and we love gifts. We saw that, oh, by the way, Brad, that was an excellent story. I don't know where you are, Brad. I heard your story, you're supposed to stay here to hear mine. Oh, there he is. <laughs> okay, I'll never forget the story of the empty box. I love that story. Never heard it before, but I'll never forget it. We love giving gifts. The wise men loved giving them to Jesus. We seem more focused on giving them to each other, which is all right, but we got to leave Jesus in the mix. Well, we have no problem with the first half of the Christmas story. But I don't like the second half. I was going to say nearly as much. I don't, have, I, don't, I don't like the second half of the Christmas story at all. But I'm going to tell you before I get started on that half, we need both halves for Christmas to have meaning. If we only have the first half, we ain't got it. We need both halves. And I'm going to focus in now. Matthew 1, verse 21. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, I preached on that verse before here. And I, and I, and I said in the past that that, that, that was a revolutionary statement. The Jews did not want a Messiah who was going to save them from their sins. He wanted one that was going to save them from the Romans. Yeah, that's salvation, a la Jewish style. But I said, no, no, he really wants to save us from our sins, not in our sins. And my sermon outline looks something like this. He wants to save us from the penalty of sin forgiveness. He wants to justify us. 
He wants to save us from the power of sin. We call that sanctification. He wants to save us from the presence of sin. We call that glorification. That takes place at the second coming. I've said all that before, so now I've got to bore in a bit. Jesus wants to save us from our sins. Listen now. Jesus wants to save us from ourselves. Jesus wants to save me from myself. Let me give you an illustration. When I was a child, about five years old, I developed my own cosmology, probably a foreshadowing that I was going to be a philosopher someday. My view of the universe, Earth was at the center. And at the center of Earth, now this, this is true, I mean, I thought these things, and they work. Well, after a fashion. At the center of Earth was the United States. The center of the United States was California. The center of California was Santa Rosa. That's where I lived. The center of Santa Rosa was my house. I always thought that was remarkable. But the most interesting part was the center of my house was me. I mean, that's great. I was the center. And my parents played right into it. You know, all of us parents, you know, we got these kids, and they know that they're the center of the universe, and they have two adult slaves to take care of them. <laughs> I was first. And when you're first, man, you really get attention, you know? All I had to do was whimper, up, man alive, there they are. All I gotta do is cry. I get a bottle in my mouth. My parents were made to serve me. And it worked well. Well, I think about the time I was age 14, I was beginning to realize that they really didn't appreciate that viewpoint as much as I did. And that's where girls came in. Woo-wee! Yeah, I could refocus my attention. Girls were made for my pleasure. Hmm. No, I had a kind of a suspicion that they might be human, but, you know, they were made for me. I had no doubts about that, and when I got married, I took that philosophy with me. I mean, after all. What would my wife rather do than serve me? You know, as I'm laying on the sofa, she's cooking and cleaning and taking care of the kids. That's what she's supposed to do, because she's taking care of me. I mean, after all, I've got important things to do, like take a nap on the couch, read, think great thoughts, Watch a game? Oh. 
wives. They were to take care of me. And if I wanted intimacy, all they had to do was snap my finger, and there it was. It came as a real shock. And I discovered that my young wife had different ideas. And thought that maybe I ought to be a servant to her. <laughs> Not this one, I bombed the first one. That's when my education really began. Because there were two very important people living in close proximity. <laughs> well, Jesus wants to save me from myself. He wants to save me from my sin. And at the very heart of sin is self-centeredness. That I am more important than you. So I can take your stuff, abuse your body, kill you if I need to, at least think about it. More important than God, and break a Sabbath, insult his name. The core of sin is self-centeredness, and I was born that way. Christ came on Christmas Day. To save me. from myself. That's the other half of the Christmas story, and I don't like it because I really like myself. But if I'm honest about it, I like myself more than you. I struggle with that. Uh, you know, okay. We gotta, we gotta make the rubber hit the road now, right? So God has got a solution for this, and I don't like the solution either. Okay? Let's go to Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans 12. That's page 1137 in the Pew Bible. Romans 12. Verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I love this passage. Well, I don't really like it. Because it interferes with who I am. We're to be a living sacrifice. Now, living sacrifices, I'd rather be a dead sacrifice. No, I'd rather die for Jesus than have to live every day. Well, I got it over with and I can go to heaven when he comes again, you know? 
but living sacrifice. But the word I want to focus in on, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. God wants to change our minds and our hearts. And that word transformation in the Greek is metamorphosis. You met it in biology class. It's what happens when a slug-like caterpillar learns how to fly. God wants to take crawly little things that creep on the ground and make us butterflies. Isn't that wonderful? He wants to give us beautiful colors. He wants to totally transform our lives. Be not conformed, but be ye transformed. Now, that's all right. And you know, Jesus became a servant. We know that servant stuff is kind of general. I can memorize the passages about being a servant and stick them in the back of my head and forget them. But Jesus gets real, or Paul in this case, gets real particular. He points out things, and I want you to watch. I want you to watch some of the things that Jesus and Paul are going to say about what it means to be a Christian. And then you'll discover how come it irritates me. Okay? Let's just go down a bit. Let's go down to uh, look at 9 and 10 of chapter 12. Let your love be genuine. Hate what is evil. That's pretty general. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Wait a minute. It's not exactly what your NIV says, but it's the same idea. Honor one another above the other. Uh, uh, wait a second now. There's an irritating passage here. Outdo one another. And showing honor. Uh, what would our marriages look like if we spent our day trying to outdo the other one and showing honor? Wow! What would our church look like? When Jesus comes into our heart, he wants us to be proactive in reaching out and turning our world upside down by acting like him. That's the other half of the Christmas story. It's nice to sing about mangers and all that stuff. But Jesus wants to come in and plow up your life and grow some new plants. That's the other half of the Christmas story. Let's keep going now. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Oh, shoot, I love that passage. But the Greek language here does not say persecute. It says keep on persecuting you. Bless them as they keep on doing those nasty things to you. No wonder I don't like this stuff. I don't like being persecuted. But the fact that I got to bless the persecutor while they keep on doing it to me, 
And that's not irritating. I don't know what is. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Go down to verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Some years ago, I told you about a marriage counselor Bonnie and I went to. He was actually one of my colleagues at the seminary. He was a psychologist. So we said, hey, Peter, would you give us some help? And he looked at us. I've told you this before, but I'm telling you again. He looked at us. And he says, what's your payback technique? First thing. What's your payback technique? How do you pay somebody back when they've crossed you, especially if it's your husband or wife. You know, we sat there totally stupefied. We didn't know we've had a payback technique. We now have had 27 and one half years of marriage. And I can guarantee you, we know what our payback techniques are. Okay? Aye, aye, aye. Think about these things. This is where servanthood becomes real. This is where Christmas comes into your life. We like the incarnation of Christ coming to earth. We struggle a bit more with the incarnation of Christ coming into our heart. At least I do. Now let's go on. Verse 17 again, repay no one evil for evil, but you know they deserve it, don't you? Jerk. If, if possible, so far it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Oh, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. You know, I'm positive God needs a little help on this vengeance thing. And I'm more than happy to help him. Okay. Verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, that's enough with chapter, you know, I gotta... Oh. Be therefore perfect, even your Father in heaven is perfect. Don't go to that verse, that's Matthew 5, 48. Go to verse 43. You've heard it said that you shall love your enemy. Love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. I don't have any problem with that part. Well, loving my neighbors I do, but hating my enemies, I find that one quite natural. But I say unto you, love your enemy and pray for those who are spitting on you. I paraphrase that just a bit. If you've ever been spit on, you know what I mean. Pray for those who are misusing you. That's easy to say, but hard to do when you really have somebody that's mistreating you. This is the second half of Christmas. This is Christ coming into our lives. And 
I'm going to finish this now. I got one other passage I got to read. You've heard it said. that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemy and pray for those who despitefully use you. That means you. We all get to do that for each other. So that, I'm going on in the passage, about verse 45 now, so that, you may be like the Father in heaven. And how is the Father in heaven? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Be perfect in his love. Towards the Zacchaeus of the world, to the prostitutes, and believe it or not, he even likes Pharisees and Adventists. He's able to save anybody. Okay. We got to, there's so much I want to say. 1 Corinthians 13. Oh, we all love this chapter, especially if we don't read it very careful. 1 Corinthians 13. Okay. Boy, read this one. This is the second half of the Christmas story. What Jesus wants to do in your life is what he's been trying to do in my life. Love, uh, verse 4. Love is patient. And kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. I can take that one right out of the Bible as far as I'm concerned. It does not insist upon its own way. This is disgusting. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I forgot to give you the page number. 1130, no, 1153 in the Pew Bible. And I'll read it from that translation because it shows up new things. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It does not, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. I've known some people that can tell you everything bad happened to them in the last 23 years. It wouldn't be so bad, but they tell you every time it happens. Sometimes it's a husband and wife. Keeps no record of wrongs. What would our life be like if we took all of these little things that I've highlighted today? This is what the gospel is all about. That Jesus isn't up there pie in the sky. He wants to come down here. Not only in the Bethlehem, he wants to have a manger in my heart. 
I like the Bethlehem part. I really struggle with the rest of this stuff. This is what Christmas is all about. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to change Zacchaeus and he came to change me and you. It's not a game where we come here once a week and worm a pew. Jesus wants to make our marriages better. He wants to make our committees and church better. He wants to make our workplace better. He wants to make us even love those stinking neighbors we have to deal with sometimes. Ah. Jesus is real. Paul and Jesus are not beating around the bush. Church. Means being born again. It's letting that nasty little selfish George perish. Trouble is, he likes to resurrect. That's when Paul says, I die daily. Sometimes you've got to die several times a day. Now, if you want to profile the devil, just reverse this stuff. Let me read this stuff backwards. Love is impatient. Love is unkind. Love is jealous. Love is boastful. Love is arrogant. Love is rude. Love insists on its own way. It is irritable. It is resentful. It rejoices in wrong. Kind of nice. You want a formula for acting like the devil, there it is. Just turn it on its head. But if you want to find out what Jesus wants to do in your life and why he came on Christmas Day, read Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 13, Matthew 5. Oh, I could go on. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Christians ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. Yet I've seen some Christian, you'd think it was a sin to smile. I've had to tell some of them, I'd rather, I'd rather go to hell than have to spend an eternity with them. <laughs> it is true. Why do I want to spend eternity with people that can't even smile? Okay? And it's not a sin to smile in church. Not a sin to smile on the Sabbath day. Well, God wants to change us. There's two halves to the Christmas story. The first half the incarnation of Christ into this world. God became human. Not only human, he became servant. And he served even unto death, death on a cross, the most despicable of all deaths. That's the first half. We rejoice. The second half, 
the incarnation of Jesus in my heart, in my life, to save us, save me. I'll let you guys worry about you. To save me from my inborn self-centeredness. I love the first half, but struggle with the second when I read the kinds of passages I emphasize today. But without the second, Jesus transforming our lives, the first has no meaning. When Jesus came on Christmas Day, he came is not merely savior of the world 2,000 years ago. Jesus comes on Christmas Day to reach into your heart and mine and turn us inside out. The Jesus story has more than one half. Jesus wants each of us to walk in peace and joy, not only with him, but with one another. And that's one reason I love church. I love this church. We have big differences, politically, COVID-wise, theologically, I think, but you know what? I've sensed by and large in this congregation that you like each other. Yeah, that's great. When I first came here, I was offended. These people stick around, they talk in a sanctuary for a whole hour. Irreverent. No. What church ought to do? You ought to care about each other. You don't want to run out. That doesn't mean you don't have to sometimes, but you want to care about each other. And I'm going to tell you from the bottom of my heart right now, this congregation is the healthiest congregation I have ever belonged to. And I've pastored a few. Okay? So I just want to say on this Christmas Day, I want to thank God for each of you. And if we got something good, the greatest present yet is we can make it better by letting Jesus continue to live in each of our lives. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus as the Christ child. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus as the one who came to seek and to save that which was lost, the one that could save Zacchaeus, the one that could save the, some Pharisees, the one that could save people of all types, flavors, and kinds. We thank you, Lord, for the Christmas story. Help us, Lord, each of us, to plug in to both halves in the name of Jesus. Amen.